Blog Talk Radio. What are you going to do with all that money? I bet you I can tell you exactly how much extra money you will have five years from now. If you have no savings now, I'll bet in five years it will have grown all the way to none. That's right, zip, zilch, nada. But why is this? Why is it so hard to save money? Did you know that if you put just a little bit of money in the savings and you kept adding until it reached 10000 you would probably never again be tempted to spend it? It's the way our minds work. If you put $100 in there, and it's easy to spend, or find 300 ways to liquidate that asset. But let that 100 turn into 3000 and somehow magically our minds deem it valuable, and we don't want to spend it. Tonight, we are going to change all that. My friend and financial wizard, Phil Ferguson of Pinnacle Financial, is going to help us out. I promise you, you will come away with a different attitude towards savings. And better yet, you don't have to listen to the disclaimer tonight because Phil is a licensed and recognized nationally as a financial advisor. Are you ready? It's that time again, folks, broadcasting live with his tin cans and a brand new string from a top old smoky. It's Ben, the king of wiener-slingers, with a fancy co-host, with important guests, and the best answers a third-grade education can buy. All for you. Sponsored by Ben'sCarts.com, whiskey by the jug and donuts. You are so in for a treat today. But if I told you now, I'd have to kill you. So stay tuned. Ben's as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Stand by. He's downing his last glass of liquid. With courage, and he'll be live in 30 seconds. Have you ever wondered why the guy selling hot dogs always seems so happy? Hello, Mrs. Smith. Hello, Mr. Johnson. Can I interest either of you in a hot dog? Do you want to find out why? LearnHotDogs.com. Get free video training, earn points, and get free stuff. Read Ben's hot dog blog and more. The premier source for hot dog vending information. Go to learnhotdogs.com. Will, I'd like to make a correction. Um, I think I said Pinnacle, and it's actually Polaris Financial Planning. You can go to the website at Polaris Financial Planning. You can also find that link over at our blog talk radio um, site, which is, um, I think it's hotdogvendorradio.com, will actually take you straight to it. And so we got that straightened out. We do have a Mr. Love Hot Dogs with us, Mr. Jason Brown um, from PA with us tonight. And we are going to find out tonight how to do what no one seems to be able to do. We're going to learn why to do it, and um, I can't think of a better person who could offer that to us. Um, Phil, are you with us? I am. How are you doing this evening? I am doing fantastic, and I am so excited that you're with us tonight because this is something that even I have had trouble with, and it, it which you know, and, and it is one of those things that everybody has trouble saving. We all we all tend to spend to what we make. We were talking last week on the show that no matter if you make five thousand or ten thousand, you're going to spend it, and that most doctors are a paycheck or two away from bankruptcy. Because even well, I, though they make a lot of money, they're still spending the money. Absolutely. I, the rule of thumb I've always used is the average human spends 105% of what they make. Uh, so we rack up debt if we can. 
it's hard to do savings. The average uh, U.S. citizen retires with a net asset value of about $50,000, and that's not enough. Wow. So that's including – you're talking net asset. So you're talking they could own a car or two, they could own a home, um, all that combined fifty grand. Everything combined because a lot of people, uh, they'll buy a new car, and until they get it paid off – for the majority of the time they own that car, they're upside down. It's a negative asset. Uh, they borrow against their house. The house goes up in value. They re-borrow against it and buy some new toys. Uh, they don't invest in the stock market. They owe people money. They have credit card bills. Uh, you add all that stuff together, the average is about $50,000. And keep in mind, that includes a lot of people who are millionaires. So what, what it basically tells you is probably – 60, 70, 80% of the population is woefully underprepared for retirement, and you're going to have to figure out how to make the, uh, your bills with the Social Security that you're going to get because that's going to be all you're going to have. Is it, is it too late? Like um, what age is the cutoff that it's just too damn late to start saving? Uh, just like everything in life, once you're over 21, it's all downhill. <laughs> uh, no, it, it's it's funny because I, I was listening to last week's show, and, and one of the things that you talk to people about, and I'm a big believer in this philosophy, just do something. Uh, there is no too late as far as investing or as far as savings. Uh, if you can live on the 18000 or 15000 or 14000 you're going to get from Social Security, that's fine, but would an extra two or $5,000 a year help? I know my budget right now, an extra $5,000 a year would help. So if you save a little bit, you get a little bit. If you can save right. a lot and you have a long period of time, you might be able to get to the point where you can live on 100% of your current income without actually working, without using Social Security. And to me, money, money makes life easy. Uh, and I've had customers that, uh, clients, I guess, for my business that have come to me and they make over $250,000 a year and they cannot pay their credit card bills. I've also had people that make thirty grand, and they're careful with their money. They live within their means. Their house is not fancy. Their cars are used, but they're clever with how they spend their money. They're clever with how they save their money, and they're on their way to soon getting to a point where they can continue that lifestyle, which they're comfortable with, without working at all. And I mean, as a kid, the idea that I could make money from money instead of labor is a fascinating idea. Now, I understand that the business that you're in helping people uh, in the vendor industry and, and with carts and whatever food products that they can sell, that takes real physical labor. And you can make a lot of money doing that, and that's important. But at some point, you may not be able to do that, and that's where the investments come in. And then you can decide if you want to keep doing it because you love it, great. Uh, for me, the definition of rich is no longer having to work for the purpose of earning money. If I work because I enjoy it, then that makes a big difference. Like, uh, example I give to people, my dad, when he retired – uh, after working at AT&T for like 30, 40 years, he went and got a job as a greeter at Kmart, like me. That's where I get it. Loves to talk to people. And he could stand there and talk to people all day long, day in and day out. 
he did not need the money, but they still paid him seven, eight, nine bucks an hour, whatever it was they paid him. And he was happy to have the money, but he didn't need the money. Now, if you are a greeter at Kmart or at Walmart, and that's your only source of income, and that's what's paying your heating bill, I could see that job being a whole lot less fun because now you're dependent on it and some snot-nosed kid who's 25 years old who's the assistant store manager telling you you're not doing a good job. So right. money makes a big difference. One of the things that, I've, that, that I am happy about, and, and, and I've been there several times in life, is, is when you have enough money in the bank that if some calamity happened, the transmission went out on the car, the, you know, your sister's neighbor's puppies was having, you know, chickens, and you had to spend it, you know, there was some type of emergency, and you actually had it to be able to do. That is, that is a good feeling to me, to know that, okay, if everything just fell right now, I'd be okay for a little bit. It wouldn't be the end of the world. It wouldn't be disastrous. Well, I'm not always there. And so tell me more about how, how the power of money works when you invest. Because it's easy to say, yeah, just save money and it, just let it grow. But if people understood, I believe, if, if we all understood how that worked, compounding interest, it usually works right. against us. But in savings, it can work for us. Right. Uh, you know, one of the first things, of course, you mentioned it, and ideas are easy to say. It, it's more difficult to implement them. And it's the same thing with the industry that you're in. It's the implementation that is always the trick. That's why you have a show that people come and listen to every week for those little tips, those little ideas to make it better and easier. Uh, the first basic idea, of course, is to me – money, assets, and maybe even personal experiences are more important than things. Now, there's some exceptions. I like really cool new smartphones, so that, that's kind of my <laughs> addiction, I guess. But I like to know that there is, you know, if the car throws the transmission, I can do that. Um, another thing that I do, for example, since I have enough assets in the bank that I can do this, and my, I have three cars. They're all five years to eight years old. They all have 100 to 200,000 miles on them. They're all paid for. I don't get collision insurance. Now, if I ruin one of my cars, I could be out $5,000 if it's my fault. Right. But I'm paying $1,500 less a year in car insurance. So if I can go three years without a, a big accident that's my fault, then I get to pocket $1,500 a year until I break down and buy a newer used car. Uh, but once you get that money saved, as an example, they have this thing called the rule of 78s. It's a very quick and easy way for you to figure out how much money can grow. So if you have $10,000 with the example you mentioned earlier, you know, that's, that's a real asset and you don't want to spend it. If you can put that in the stock market and make 10% a year, it will take you roughly seven years for it to double. I think I called it the rule of 78. It's the rule of 72. But, yeah. um, so it'll take 7.2 years, roughly seven years, for that at 10% to double, you'll have $20,000. Another seven years, it'll be 40000 Another seven years, 80, 160, 320, 640. 
$1.2 million. That's without adding any additional money. That's just from the growth. That's from the compounding. Uh, if you put the money in the bank and make 1% per year, it doesn't take a lot of mathematical acuity to understand it will take you 72 years for that to double. I Holy don't have cow, that kind of time so, horizon. Yeah, but isn't inflation faster than 1%? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I hadn't even included inflation. So if you look at 10000 today, let's say inflation is 3%, which is a good approximation to use for the U.S. economy over the long period of time, that'll make your money worth half as much in, what, 24 years? So right. while your, your money is growing, it's actually becoming worth less if you grow less than inflation. So your 10000 will become 20000 in 70 years, but in that time, your value has gone down by half, by a quarter, by one-eighth. Now, your money doubled, so it's one-fourth. So you will have 25% of the money you have now if you sit it in the bank and make 1%. Counterproductive. Okay. Uh, I tell old, everybody yeah. real quick that we're, we're talking to Phil Ferguson, and he is a, a, a financial guru and is helping us understand the power of our money and, and has already given us a little history on the fact that many people don't save money. And no matter what you're making today, whether you're making 2000 a month or 15000 a month, um, odds are, if, if, you know, statistically, you're not saving. And we all do this. Well, if you start right. now, and it's not too late, it doesn't matter if you're 65, he's already told us it doesn't matter when you start, but it does, it does help to start earlier because then you have more time for that rule of 72 to work. Um, and the rule of 72 works for anything, doesn't it? it? It's just you take the interest rate, whatever given interest rate. Now, you used 10% a little bit ago. I wanted to ask something about that. Is that something that we can expect to make? I mean, 10% is good in uh, good return. Well, I'm going to pause for just a moment because I forgot to do my disclaimers. I know you've got your disclaimer on your show, like when you <laughs> tell people you're not an attorney. Same thing here. I'm not an attorney. I'm not an accountant. Uh, also, this information that I'm sharing today is not designed for any one specific person. It should not be considered investment advice by anybody. Consult with your own professional advisor before you proceed. Okay, now we got that out of the way. But you can, uh, you are a financial advisor, so you can advise, like if somebody wanted to talk to you separately. Absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll shamelessly say Polaris Financial Planning. Uh, they can go to that website, read, read some of my philosophies, read some of my ideas. If they're interested, they can call and talk to me. I give an hour consultation. They can ask me anything they want. I'll tell them anything that comes across my head. They don't have to pay me a dime, and they can use whatever they can suck out of me for one hour. Often I, I do that for people, and that's the last I ever hear of them, hear from them, and that's okay. I, I don't mind. I like helping people. Some people, on the other hand, will say, I like what you have to say. It sounds like you know what you're doing. Let's hope I do. And they want to hire me all the better. And hopefully the theoretical version of this is that I make them more money than I charge them because, uh, of course, I got my bills to pay. But um, as far as the doubling, the rule of 72 is, yeah, it works for anything. It, you know, If you put it in a nice bond fund and make 6%, 
which is not realistic today. Right. But if you did, you know, you're looking at 10, 11, 12, 12 years for the, your money to double. So anything can work that way. And as far as the 10%, depending on how you do the math, and different people have different opinions, but I'd like to use 10 because I think it's a, a safer number. The U.S. stock market over the last 100 years has returned 10% or more per year on average. And I'm trying to be very specific with how I phrase things because you can have a period of time like six and seven years ago where over a period of two years, the stock market lost half of its value. So if you put in $10,000 at the exact wrong moment, two years later, you would have only $5,000. So if you can't handle that kind of short-term shock to your funds, you should not be in the stock market. If you're saving but for a also, house or a car, it's also It's also short-term because the people, let's say I had put in $5,000 in 2006. By 2009, my money's probably somewhere around the two grand mark, the value of that, that stock. But had I left it in there, it would have gone right back up past where it was. And, and so you're saying a 10% average, that, that includes the bad years. That includes the depression. That includes all the bad years, the depression. It includes the collapse uh, right after 9-11 where the market fell 25% in one day or one right. week after the market reopened. And that scenario I gave you where the market fell by 50% in two years, if you'd pulled it out, of course, your 10000 turned to 5000 if you left it in and you enjoyed the last five years where the market did very nicely, not only did you get your $10,000 back, but you could now have thirteen dollars to $14,000. Not the best seven-year period of time ever, but still pretty darn good uh, considering at one point your money was half of its value. The trick is to invest long-term. Now, if instead of just throwing in ten grand to begin with, you threw in ten grand, and every year you added a couple of grand, two or three or four or five thousand dollars, whatever you could. Some of that money was going in when the stock market was really, really low. So if you bought seven years ago, six years ago, five years ago, your money that you put in five years ago, say you added five thousand dollars, that money is now worth twelve thousand dollars by itself. So if you had added $5,000 a year, you could be talking, and I don't have this exact calculation in front of me, but you could be in the neighborhood of forty dollars to $45,000 by adding an initial $10,000 and then $5,000 per year for the last seven years. Now, you put in thirty or thirty-five, but you're looking at forty-five, probably just off the top of my head, maybe even fifty. So the way to build that wealth is time, is the most important thing. The second thing is the type of investment, and nothing in the history of investing, especially in the United States in the last 100, 100 plus years, beats the U.S. stock market. There's so, nuances and arguments that we can get into from there, but that's the basics. So not, not everybody is going to have ten grand to invest. What is the best right. way and what is the minimum to invest to start out? Like, can you start out with a smaller amount and then continually add to that? 
Absolutely. There are a few mutual funds out there. Um, before I go too far, I'm going to make sure that I'm clear. So the listeners that already know this information, please forgive me for the next minute or two as I explain some things. I, I just I never know who's listening and what they know. So if you already know all this stuff, you know, like I said, just skip forward a minute or two. But if you buy stock, it's a, it's a piece of a company. And if that company succeeds, you do very well. If that company fails, you can lose 100% of what you invested. Then comes along a thing called mutual funds. And a mutual fund will buy stocks in 20, 50, 100 different companies. It spreads out a little bit of the risk. So if any one of those companies goes bankrupt, it will be annoying, but it won't wipe you out. So you're diversified. And the mutual fund is the way you want to go. If you want to go a step further, and what I generally recommend is that people get what are called index funds. And if you learn nothing else from what I talk about tonight, the word index fund, I guess it's two words, is what you want to write down. If you can get index funds, it has far more diversification, so your risk is less, much better tax consequences, lower expenses. You are not going to beat the market, but you will beat 95% of all the other investors. And for me, that's good enough. But as far as where to start, there are mutual funds out there and maybe some index funds that will probably let you start for as little as 500 to maybe $1,000. If I really searched, I could probably find something lower. I generally deal with people that have 20, 50, or 1,000, or a couple hundred thousand. But if you just got a couple thousand, you can do that. Often they'll give you a break or a lower entry point if you create an IRA. Now, a lot of people think uh, that you have to go to the bank to get an IRA. And it's right. very common because I go to a bank you know, probably a couple times a month. You walk in and there's a little sign on an easel. I'm always, I always see the one that's the, the black felt, and they put the little white letters in there, and it right. says a one-year CD, two-year CD, five-year CD, and then the really special rate now at 1.2% is the IRA. And so you can walk up to the teller and say, can I get an IRA here? And they say, sure, and they set you up with a personal banker, and you can put your $1,000 in the bank in an IRA account. The IRA, it stands for Individual Retirement Account, is simply a tax designation uh, created by Congress and monitored and managed by the IRS that allows you to put money aside and deduct it from your current income. So if you make 40000 and you put 2000 in the IRA, the IRS looks at it as if you made 38000 and you pay taxes accordingly. So you get to save taxes while you're saving money. If you put it in the bank, you make that 1.2%. If you put it in a mutual fund, that mutual fund could invest in bonds. It could invest in international stock. It could invest in the U.S. stock market. So there's all isn't, kinds of things you can do with an IRA account. Isn't it true that a, a bank, you go in and hand them $5,000 for a CD or an IRA, and and they're going to guarantee you 1.2% for the next five years. Um, right. That they take that money and turn around and invest it for a larger return. Um, a much that's, larger. That's correct. That's how, yeah. Yes. They're basically borrowing your money for very little money. 
Well, and it's one of those things that uh, when you have a guaranteed return, uh, skipping the idea that maybe there's a scam involved, because that's another topic that I often cover we probably won't have time for tonight, but if you really have a guarantee like an IRA, not sorry, not an IRA, a, uh, a CD at a bank, it's guaranteed right. by the bank that it's going to pay you that 1.2%. When you invest in something that's very, very safe, you make very little money. So the bank is on the hook to pay you whether their investments go up or go down. So they're taking the risk with your money. You're taking the little teeny return in exchange for security. It must not be the risk, Phil, because if I go to any town in America, the biggest buildings are typically banks. Banks historically have made lots of money, and uh, we'll get a little bit into politics here, so forgive me or just tell me to shut the hell up if I get too crazy. (laughs) To me, banks are supposed to be a system to help individual citizens, Americans, save money and make money. They should not be out there to fleece Americans and rake in billions of dollars. The idea that you can have layers of management that are making five, ten, twenty, fifty million dollars a year after they got bailed out by the federal government with my tax dollars is obscene to me. Uh, all of those people should have been fired and those big banks that couldn't pay their bills that I guess the phrase I heard that drove me nuts was too big to fail. If a bank is too big to fail, it can more precisely be described as too big. So if a bank gets too big and we as a society decide its failure is detrimental to our citizenry, we should save that bank from failing and then break it up into dozens of little banks or districts or statewide banks. I don't think any bank, like a Citibank or Chase or any of these guys, should have more than 3 or 4% of all the national assets. Currently, the top five banks have almost half of all money from American citizens on deposit. So if two or three of them have financial trouble at the same time, you can stress the system beyond the point of repair and the economy can collapse. I find that unacceptable, but what do I know? I'm sorry, my little soapbox there. No, I am 100% with you, and I would imagine that 100% of the people listening are with you as well. Um, That's a scam. Now, getting back to... If we wanted to invest, and I don't know if you take small accounts, like are you are you in a position where you allow small accounts to start up these thousand dollar accounts, and then and then have a plan well, to send in this much money every month as you go? I, I I can do it a couple of ways. If someone contacts me, like I said, I will give them a, a nice polite conversation. We can talk for an hour, no fee, no cost. And if they just want to learn more about how it works, if they want to know what to do with one or $2,000, they can contact me. We can talk. That might be the best thing for everybody is for me to give them some suggestions and then for them to go do their thing. If they're serious, even if they only have a small amount, Right. If they're serious and want to start saving and they're willing to commit to start saving monthly, I would be willing to talk to them about engaging in a, in a business arrangement. Um, 
my fee for small accounts, and I apologize, I can't think of any better way to say this, anything under $100,000 is 1% per year. So if someone comes to me and says, help me invest $1,000, if I bill them on my normal rate, $10. Just like any professional, $10 is not going to buy you five hours of service. Right. As long as they're okay with that, you know, we can have that conversation. If they are serious and want to start saving three, four, five hundred bucks a month, we can talk a long time because I want to help them grow because the people that have very little or next to nothing but are willing to engage and start saving and start investing will eventually have a lot of money and then my fee gets much bigger. And the nice thing about the way I do it, I tell people, is that you can put your, my greed to work for you because the bigger your portfolio, the bigger my fee, we both get happy together. Uh, I had a, a young guy come to me seven years ago, and he started investing. It's kind of a scenario about you know, five or six or eight grand a year, whatever he could afford. And I just sent him uh, the bill for the, the first of the year. He has $104,000 in his account. And he called me up and he's like, I've just been saving a few thousand dollars a year. How did we get to 100000 Well, a little bit of luck, a little bit of good timing because I don't control the market and I, I know you like to flatter me and, and pump me up and call me this financial guru, but uh, some of it is just sound basic investment ideas that anyone who's listening, if they're smart enough to get a cart and smart enough to run their own small business or multiple small businesses, they can do exactly what I'm doing if they put the time into it, and that's where the problem comes. Uh, I once had a guy working on my car, and he said, Phil, it, why don't you work on your own car? And I said, I don't have the tools. He says, you can go buy the tools. I said, yeah, but I don't have a garage. And he goes, you could get a garage or rent a garage. And I said, really what it comes down to, I don't want to work on my car. And he goes, it's the same thing with money. Some people just aren't that into it. They would rather hire you and know that it's being taken care of than going through all the work and exercise and expense up front themselves. It's just easier to pay you, and then they can go on and do what's important in their life, like selling hot dogs. Right. Well, especially, one, by turning it over, you you kind of take, take out that... Um, the occasion when you go, oh, I got $300 down there in the bank. I'll just go get it. Um, it it makes it harder to ex- – it's always yours, and you can get it at any time. But the, right. my point is that if you make it harder on yourself to get it, it's like, you know, if I set my cigarettes outside, then sometimes I'll go for hours without smoking because I don't want to get up and go out there and get them. And so it's the same kind of thing with yeah. your money. If you make it harder to I, get, you're kind of playing I, with yourself. You're going to do, do that with your booze next? <laughs> no, no. Um, no. I'm keeping yeah. that. Yeah, uh, I have standards. I, 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 do this, I do the same thing with food uh, that you're doing with the smokes. Uh, I'm, I'm trying a new thing and trying to really get in shape and lose weight. And, boy, I tell you what, I can sit down in front of the TV with a bag of Doritos or nacho chips, and before <laughs> I know it, that bag is gone. So... What I do now is I walk in the kitchen, I open the bag, and I grab as many of those bastards as I can get in my hand, 
and it's a lot. And I go back and I sit on the couch and I eat them all and I want more, but I got to get up. So sometimes I get another handful, sometimes I don't. And I find right. that the bag can last days now instead of just one sitting. Uh, but with investing, you're absolutely right. Kind of, I don't know, sometimes as humans, we've got to trick ourselves. You put it in a different account. And like you said, I set people up with accounts at TD Ameritrade and then I invest in Vanguard mutual funds, index funds, you always can log on and see your account. I don't touch your money. I can, if you give me permission, decide what to buy and what to sell, but I don't get the money. The checks don't come out from TD Ameritrade to me, and they don't come from you to me, unless you want me to mail it in, but then you write it in the name of TD Ameritrade. Uh, and then by law, any brokerage firm or mutual fund company has to send you a statement every quarter. So you get to see it, but it's not in the bank down the street. So it's just a little bit harder to get to, and you've got it in your mind that it's for long term, and so you don't spend it. You're saving and you're investing. Um, if you want to start saving for a car, we can take a part of that and put it in something a little safer that you can start squirreling away five or ten grand for a deposit on a car. Or if you really want, buy it for cash. Not my recommendation, but that's another issue we can discuss. The other thing that I really like to tell people, especially you know, if you've ever bought or sold stocks, there's always the psychological game of should I have bought more? Should I have sold then? Did I buy low? Did I sell high? Did I do it all right? Uh, I had a friend who was talking to me, and he had bought a bunch of Apple stock. And Apple stock had gone up a whole lot. And he was talking about how he'd made all this money, and he doesn't know if he should sell it now. And I said, uh, well, as long as it's not more than 5% of your portfolio, I'm not concerned. And he said, oh, it's, it's more than 5%. And I said, well, you know, if you really follow the company and you really like it, I could live with one stock maybe that is your favorite that goes 10%. And he goes, oh, it's a lot more than 10%. And how much <laughs> oh of your portfolio is Apple? And he goes, well, because it's gone up so much, it's probably 50%, 60%. And so I asked him, I said, if, if for some reason Apple imploded, and I don't know shit about Apple, but if they, we found out they were embezzling money or their phones caused brain cancer, who knows, and it went to zero tomorrow, would you be okay losing 60% of your entire portfolio? And he said, no. <laughs> like, well, you need to sell it. And he says, well, that's the thing. Is, when do I sell it? And I said, you're making a, what I call a, a false dichotomy. In right. his mind, his choice is to stay 100% in Apple or get 100% out. So what I told him he could do is just sell 10%. Give it a month or two. Sell right. another 10%. Give it a month or two. Sell another 10%. And what can happen in this scenario is if Apple stock keeps going up, he's always got a justifiability in his own head to say, I kind of had a feeling it was going to keep going up. That's why I left so much in. If it goes down, he can now also say, I kind of had a feeling it was going to go down. That's why I started to sell, and I've already <laughs> sold 30%. So I've covered what I put in. So it's a win-win psychologically for the investor. Another thing that I can do that's very helpful is uh, help with marriages. 
I know growing up when my dad would buy and sell stocks, if he had a stock that was 40 bucks and he sold it, and then my mom, his wife, saw a few months later it went to 50, he'd never hear the end of it. You know, just how couples are. If you had left that in, we would have made X more. Or <laughs> I told you not to sell that. I knew it was coming back. And everyone's a genius looking in the rearview mirror. And whether a stock goes up or down, those two people can have an opposite opinion about what should have happened in the past a few days ago or a few weeks ago. And it's a point of contention or argument. If you have an advisor and you're diversified against and all these index funds, you don't have any of those arguments. And if nothing else, if the market goes down and you lose a lot of money, you can both stay together and blame me. Right, but I want to so point out something because you touched on something that's buy and sell, and I don't want them to get the impression that you're that kind of like a stock trader, a day trader, somebody that's watching the stocks daily and trying to buy low, sell high, and then trying to short sell at high and, and, and buy more at low. Yeah, uh, I, I thank you for keeping me on focus here because I'll, I'll just talk endlessly. Uh, I kind of think of myself as the tortoise in the tortoise and hare parable. So if you want someone that's going to tell you what stock to buy today and what stock to buy tomorrow and which one to sell on Wednesday or Thursday, I'm not that guy. That's not right. what I do. Uh, often I'll put people in a portfolio of index funds and at the end of the year, we'll have a conversation, and they'll say, you didn't change anything. I say, well, if everything's working, and I made a good plan to start with, I don't need to change it. Most stockbrokers, what you're talking about, they are paid to get you to buy or sell something. So their right. motivation is to get you to do that as often as possible. The funny thing is that's counterproductive based on historical norms and research, for the individual investor, you want to make transactions as few as reasonably possible. But the broker doesn't make enough money to live on. You have to keep buying and selling. They actually do not care after you buy a stock if it goes up or down. They only want movement. You can watch The Wolf of Wall Street. It's a great movie. He talks about this. It doesn't matter if the stock goes up or down. It has to move. Staying right. the same is not compelling for you to buy or sell. But if it moves up or down, they can make a story and say, you've made 20% real quick, let's sell it and buy something else. You lost 20%. The fundamentals have changed on this stock. I think you should sell. Either case, they now call you and tell you you should sell. So you sell it. Every time you buy, every time you sell, you've got to pay a fee. Every right. time you sell you can trigger a tax effect, a tax consequence, and it gets added to your ordinary income for that year, and you pay the top marginal rate for your own personal assets. If you buy and hold, those transaction costs go to zero or approach zero. Your taxes, instead of being at the ordinary income rate, you get to enjoy what I call the rich person's tax, the capital gains rate, which is like 18, 20% instead of in the 30s. Wow. So, I want to tell everybody we're listening to and we're talking with Mr. Phil Ferguson of PolarisFinancialPlanning.com. And I, I've um, encouraged him to come on and ask that he would. He's a friend of mine, and he said that he would. And come explain this. Many of us didn't get this in school. We didn't hear this. 
we don't know the rule of 72. We don't know how to multiply our money. And when we come back, I'm going to take a short commercial break, but when we come back, I'd love it, Phil, if you would share with us the rule of 72 in real terms, somebody that's 50 years old um, and they want to retire at 65 and their goal is a million. Kind of show us what happens and how to get there. Because, you know, you've already, you're halfway over. You're at the 50-year mark. And I, I want to, to encourage people. I want people to go, listen, it's not too late. It's never too late. And because something is always better than nothing. So we'll be, we'll be right back. And if you would like to call in, the number is 424-258-9364. We would love to have you on. If you have a question for Phil, please feel free to call in and I'll try to get to you. Um, and we are going to take a short commercial break and we'll be right back. Want to see some funky videos? Go to LearnHotDogs.com. You can watch Ben do it on a real big dog cart. He'll also teach you how to steam, boil, and grill dogs the right way on the same cart. He'll also show you how to get your hands on some hot steamy buns. And it's all over at LearnHotDogs.com. We here at Hot Dog Vendor Radio would like to welcome all street food vendors. We promise we won't point fingers and make fun of you if you don't sling a weenie or two. And we won't make fun of you if you don't have your hands on an ample supply of hot steamy buns. We love all street food vendors, and that's why we're here. So come one, come all. Join us live every Sunday night at 8.30 p.m. for HTVR, Hot Dog Vendor Radio. You'll be glad you did. We promise. You show up to our show, and we'll make you happier than a woodpecker in a lumberyard. It's Sunday night at 8.30, and you're riding a gravy train with biscuit wheels with a hot dog answer man, Ben, on HTVR, Hot Dog Vendor Radio. And, folks, we are back. We are talking with Mr. Phil Ferguson of Polaris Financial Planning. You can find that at Polaris, that's P-O-L-A-R-I-S, financialplanning.com. And he's got all kinds of information there that answer probably most of your questions. But um, if you happen to have a question tonight and want to know something that we haven't covered, there's a lot to this. But the goal is is to give you financial freedom. We are all going to make money in the hot dog business, period. If you are a hot dog vendor, you will make money. But how you retire is determined what you do with that money today. And um, we have... Bill Ferguson here with us, and he's telling us what to do with that money and how to do it. And, and it's not this isn't a commercial, so it isn't a deal where you've got to spend money to make money kind of deal. This is a deal where you can do something on your own or you can do um, like many do and have a, you know, a certified licensed financial planner do it for you for a small fee. Phil has probably got one of the smallest fees in the industry, um, because he doesn't he doesn't charge you for all these these little things that go on in an account where you take money out of here and you put it over here and you move from this mutual fund or this index fund to another he doesn't charge you on those things he just charges a flat rate and no matter if you have a million dollars in there or you have this in there he's charging a a flat rate and Phil I'd love it if you would share with us what the fifty year old guy deal. 50 years old, just started, you know, doing hot dogs or street food vending. Yeah. Make three, four, five, six, seven grand a month. 
What now? It, you, you you dropped this scenario right before your commercial break, and I'm bugging out because I'm thinking, how in the world is he going to get to a couple million dollars or a million dollars? And <laughs> probably the short answer is he's not. Right. It's just not going to happen. Uh, but you know, you don't have to have you know multi millions of dollars to make a difference in your life. So I've got a little tool that I created in Excel, and you know, this is one of those things that I always tell people about. When I sit down with people, I, I, pr- I can do a screen print or print out this page of Excel, and it's very clean and it's very simple. But if you go to one of the big guys like A.G. Edwards or Edward Jones, they will give you a 40-page binder in high-gloss, full-color. It tells you basically the same shit that I'm giving you on one page, but it doesn't look as pretty. But you've got to pay for pretty. So. Right. Um, we have our theoretical person at the age of 50, and let's say he's going to retire at 65. If he can manage to save 20 grand a year, and that's a big if, but let's just say that you know, you're going to be about $1,600, $1,700 a month. So if you're making six or $7,000 on your cart, that's not a big chunk. I mean, it is a big chunk, but it's not going to wipe you out. And you, you save 20000 a year, and you invest it, and you make this theoretical 10% that we're talking about. And, of course, just because that's the long-term historical norm, no guarantee that it's actually going to happen, but it's the best number I've got to use. And in retirement, you would be able to take out 20000 per year, and assuming you, you uh, retired at 65, and that money would last until you're 109 years old. Now I want to so I want to explain yeah. explain though in that that you don't have to have a million dollars because you know you right. were talking to a friend of mine and who who has money invested through you that you manage for him and at some point he can retire and he doesn't have to take out all the interest but every year he could take out half the interest and then coupled with social security he's making a decent living yeah, the, the basic one of the basic rules of thumb is there's a certain percentage of your portfolio that you can take out in any given year. And to kind of make the math simple, let, let's just say you have, let's just say you have a million dollars. If you take out five hundred thousand dollars a year, you don't have to know very much math to know that in two years you're you're, got, you're out of money. <laughs> if you right. take out a hundred thousand a year, and the market doesn't take a dive. You can do that for about 10 years with some growth, maybe 12 or 13 years. Well, all the long-term models say that if you take out around 5 maybe 6%, I like 5% because it's safer. If you take out 5%, assuming you have time to survive through market recoveries, it's something like 99.9% probability that you will always be able to take out that amount of money and you will be able to do it for as long as you live and even longer and then give the remainder to whoever you want to, your charity, your church, your kids, whoever you want to. It's your money. Give it to whoever you want to. So I call that the everlasting nest egg. It it comes from Willy Wonka's everlasting gobstopper, but instead of a candy that never ends, it's a fund that never ends, and if you take out a small enough percentage of it or if the account is big enough, it will always be there for you, and you can just plan on that as part of your regular income. 
in the scenario we're talking about this 50-year-old, if they save right. 20000 a year for 15 years, retire at 65, they will then be able to take out 20000 a year, and it will run out, but it will run out 44 years later when they're 109. So, so they, one of the things they would be I able to, to take out twenty grand a year. Is that what you're saying? Twenty grand a year for as long as they live. So if you save twenty grand a year, right, from fifty to sixty-five, you would then be able to take out twenty grand per year, and essentially, unless you live past one hundred nine, never outlive that cash flow of twenty grand a year. So plus now, if your social security of fifteen thousand, you'd be living on about thirty-five thousand a year. Right. So if your Social Security is 15 and you add 20 to that, that's exactly right. Now you've got 35000 a year. And if you want to, if you're able to, and you still want to uh, work and sell hot dogs, or if you want to do like my dad and work at Kmart, all of that's extra income. If you've got uh, a house that you rent or a spouse that works, all of that's extra income. One of the things that I really like to see people do, and it's perfect for, for what your show is, multiple sources of income because right. if you have multiple streams and one of those streams dries up, you've got the other streams. It's not necessarily going to be great times for you, but you don't go to zero income. Going to zero income can be very devastating for anyone who's ever done that. I did that many years ago when I had one job and my wife didn't have a job. We've got a kid at home. Boss comes in one day and says, Phil, you're out. Whoa, <laughs> that's tough. Um, oh. that was a really bad couple of months. Um, you know, we couldn't pay for things and I now go forward with, uh, saving money because when we started the, the beginning of the show, the value that that money brings to you is that comfort, that peace of mind, whether it's invested or whether it's just cash. I, I had a guy recently that hired me. He is trying to save up to buy a $250,000 house with cash. Now, this is a guy that makes a couple hundred grand a year, and he's able to save 30 or 40 grand a year, and he thinks in six, seven years he can save up enough for himself and his wife and his two kids, two little kids, to move into a house. And they're living in an apartment. So, you know, they're living cheap, and they're saving a lot of money, and that's great. I'm all for that. But by the time he saves up enough money, his kids are going to be 10, 11, and 12, not four and five, Right. And then he buys the house for cash. And what he said is he wanted to know that even if he lost his job, if he paid cash for the house, he won't lose the house. And I had to explain to him that he's basically, even in this scenario, he's putting all of his eggs in, in one basket. Right. So everything he saves goes towards buying that one thing, a house, and he loses his job. He won't have a mortgage to pay. That's true because he owns the house but he will have to pay taxes. And depending on where you live, that can be 3000 that can be 10000 on that kind of a value of a house. He's still got electricity and gas and uh, paying someone to mow the lawn or, or he's got to mow the lawn himself or watering the lawn if he's in an area that has that. And there's a lot of expenses that if he doesn't have any cash coming in, even if he owns the house, it can be forced out of his hands when he has other debts that he has to pay, which... The first moment he hears that, he kind of freaks out because I've just destroyed his plan. Right. And when I right. told him, I said, why don't you save up 20%, have $50,000 to put down? And he goes, I'm already there. I said, 
put the $50,000 down, figure out how to live still cheap, but it's not going to be quite as cheap as an apartment. But for the next six to seven years, you'll already be in a house. Right. You keep saving money. That extra money then, if you lose your job, you can pay your mortgage. You can pay your bills. And if you have cash on hand to cover you for three, six, 12 months, you don't need to own your house because you can pay the bill. That's what that money does. It's that peace of mind that if something goes wrong, I can take care of it. I I like that, and it, but something that grabbed my attention, if you're able to go get a mortgage for 5 or 6 or 7%, and you can average 10 to 11 on an investment through an index fund, why the hell would right. you... Um, not, not well, and, take the loan. Absolutely, and, and let's break that down a little bit because right now mortgage rates are, I don't know, a little bit over 4%. Let, let's call it 5 to make some simple math. So if you borrow $100,000 and put nothing down on this house, you're going to buy a $100,000 house. Nothing fancy, just a $100,000 house. Not right. in a big city, obviously, but somewhere in the middle of America, $100,000 your interest on that is going to be $5,000 a year. Now that $5,000, depending on your own personal tax situation, keep it in mind I'm not a tax expert or advisor, you can deduct some or part of that and your effective rate might only be 35 to 4%. Right. You could take that $100,000 instead of paying cash for the house and pay that $3,500 or $4,000 in interest and invest that in the stock market, and on average, this is I, I always stress it, on average, make 10%, and then pay capital gains and bring home 8%, which you can, of course, pay the 4% interest and have 4% left over. So I have on a few occasions, and it's not for everybody, talked to right. some people that, you know, they're, they're clients that are either in retirement or really close to retirement, and I'll sit them down especially if they have a house that has a very high value and it's mostly paid for. You don't want to get what's called a reverse mortgage. I think those are potentially a scam, but maybe that's for another show. But you can refinance the house. So if you refinance a $500,000 house back down to 20% equity or 100000 and pull out $400,000 and invest it wisely, that's the key part. Don't go out and buy a 32-foot boat and take a six-month <laughs> vacation on the Riviera because it'll be gone. If you invest it wisely, if we have that same spread where you're making eight, but you're paying 4% on a fixed-rate long-term home loan, and you're making 4%, you can make $16,000 per year just because you rearrange how your finances are done. Wow. You know, I, so, I love the, the rule of 72. I learned it a long time ago, and it's like one of those things you learn and you just put in a back shelf. I think I was 17 or 18 when I learned the rule of 72. And, I, you know, if you missed that tonight and you, you came in late, you'll want to go to the, the beginning and hear the rule of 72 because it talks about how your, your money compounds, how the interest compounds 
and and works in your favor. You've heard of compounding interest. It's what credit cards do, and it's what most um, financial institutions that loan you money do. You know, it's why when you get a 30-year mortgage, you're going to pay for your house at least twice um, because least. of compounding interest. So, a, you know, a 20-year mortgage um, won't change your payment very much, but it will save you um, – it will save you probably a third to half of the amount of the the loan um, off of a thirty, you know, compared to a thirty-year loan. So there, there's there's a lot to that, and I know well, that there there are people listening, Phil, and and we have a big listening base. We have about sixteen thousand people that subscribe to to this show, and. Granted, it's free, but they listen. And my goal is always to help people. That's why I do the show. That's why you didn't have to put in five nickels to to watch tonight. Well, and it's why I was so excited about having you on. There's so many people out there that have lost everything. And hot dogs was that thing that just, you know, they heard about it. or It was kind of my situation. I I was a, a pretty well off. I would consider myself wealthy furniture you know, chain owner and had a plane and, you know, my own plane and was my own pilot and could go anywhere I wanted and take long vacations and do whatever I wanted and spend what I wanted. And I lost everything and started selling hot dogs. And many of the people that come into this business came into it because something forced their hand. You know, it was, I don't want to return to the workforce or I can't return to the workforce. I'm not marketable to the workforce or whatever, and now they they start a hot dog business, and, and many of them are successful. We have people that are doing this for fun. We have somebody like Michael Wood, Wood out of Georgia. He He's retired. You know, he's retired military. He's retired other stuff, and he, he just does this for fun and but makes a full-time living. There's people, though, that like me who were doing this because they had to, and it was a good way to make right. money. Well, now, the funny thing I, I want to ask you, Ben, is what would have happened if you'd saved 15% of what you made with the furniture stores? Oh, it would it would be it would be mind-numbing. I mean, mind-numbing. You'd be all right. I would I would have been so all right right now. I'd still be I could have been living off interest because I went through I mean, I had stores doing 12 million, 13 million a year in gross sales. Well, and it's gone. You know, I lost everything I owned. Well, I'm nowhere near that point now. I'm much happier now, but I still know that there's people out there listening just like me who don't didn't learn this in school. We did not. You're not taught how to budget, how to manage money, the power of compounding interest, the rule of 72. These should be basic requirements in school. When we were talking about uh, what should be in school, now, I had a lot of math in school. I had algebra, algebra 2, geometry, trigonometry, calculus. Me too. Every once in a while, I'll use geometry or trigonometry. Not very common, but it happens. Calculus, never going to use it. It just ain't going to happen. The average person would be far better off on a one-year class that the first half is talking about personal finance and how markets work, how stocks work, how bonds work, 
how you make money with money, and then the second semester, statistics, so that you can understand when people are uh, presenting you false data. It, it happens all the time. Um, you know, if you had another minute, I can do a thing to give people an idea of how they can get ripped off with a thing called guaranteed mutual funds. I want to hear. want to play along. Yeah, go ahead. Right, I, I'm going to. I'm going to pull this up on my site because I don't have this completely memorized. But uh, for anyone that wants to play along and are listening to the podcast, get a piece of paper and a pencil, and we're going to do this little uh, little experiment here. And, and Ben, you can do the same thing. I'm doing it. Um, got my yellow pad, and everybody uh, knows I love my yellow you got, pad. You, you got your yellow pad. <laughs> Let's see if we can pull this up here. See, I can't, I can't type and talk at the same time. I'm going to try this again here. I had some people, some, uh, some of my customers and friends sent me yellow pads for Christmas because I, I talk about them. I say, write down everything. Write down your goals. Write down your numbers. Historical data is important. doesn't matter if you've been in business for two days or two years or 20 years. Write everything down. Write down the weather. And, and yeah, so I, yeah, there used I to, talk there about these yellow I didn't pads. need to do that. <laughs> yeah. So what we're going to do, okay, at, and I'll, I'll often give this as a talk to like a Rotary Club or Kiwanis or just community groups. Um, anytime people are interested in learning more about investing. So uh, I'm just going to kind of pretend like I'm talking to an audience, but it's just going to be you and this great big audience of yours that's listening. So if they want to play along, pen and paper is handy at this point. So I'm just going to kind of go into my little speech mode here, and we'll just see how this goes. So the first thing I need to tell you is that this product is called Guaranteed Mutual Funds, and it's a brand-new product, and it's very popular. People get concerned that the stock market goes up, but the stock market also goes down. This product will allow you to enjoy the vast majority of that upside potential without experiencing the downside potential because your investment is guaranteed. So you will make 40% in 10 years. That's 4% a year guaranteed. And if the market goes up a lot, you can make more than that. So that's the basic sales pitch that you would hear from a salesperson. And I use the word financial advisor loosely because most financial advisors, I've got my little air quotes up, are basically very highly paid salespeople. But if right. all you heard was that, does that sound like a good product? No. No? Not to me. 4% a year? <laughs> You've already told me well, 10. Yeah, yeah. But see, now there's 4% no risk, and you could make more. It's not 1% in your bank. So right. these products it's, it's sell like... It's way better like, than a CD. Yeah, and they, they sell like crazy. Now... What I'm going to do is I'm going to do like, uh, I don't know if you remember Paul Harvey. I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. All right, let's go. <laughs> so what we have to do is we have to start with, we're going to make it simple math. You invested $100. So after okay. 10 years, you expect to have $140. So what you were sold, the idea that you were sold was that in 10 years, you're going to have $140. So I need you to write down $140. I did. Great. So now, I didn't tell you, but in the 72-page prospectus that I handed you, and you pulled up the last page and signed saying that you read the damn thing, which we know you didn't, <laughs> it explains some of these other facts that I, I glossed over, didn't mention, forgot, whatever, 
when I gave you the, the good news. Now I've got to tell you the rest of the details that's in that document. The first thing is that if at any point in those 10 years you want to take your money out, you can, but it's going to cost you 10%. So oh, you're going to keep it in. me 10% to take my own money out. That's correct, and that's a very, very common with investment products. And what the clever salesperson will tell you, you're investing for the long term, right? I mean, this is for retirement, right? You're, right. you're 40, you're 50, uh, whatever your age is, you're going to be in investing longer than 10 years anyway. You told me this was for retirement. This fee helps you protect yourself from you. It keeps the money in there. And it makes everybody more money because we know your money is going to be there and we can invest it for you. Yeah, but if my That's wife or daughter needs kidney transplant and I have yeah. to pull it out, I'm going to. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to and, pay and by the way that, to do it. That whole argument I just gave you was complete bullshit, but that's the sales pitch. So in this scenario, you're going to keep it in. Now, I did tell you 4% a year. Keep in mind, we were just talking about compounding, making 40% over 10 years is actually only 3.3% per year compounded. But that's not what they're going to tell you in the pitch. They're going to tell you 4%. So now, it, the next thing... 4%, what, is, what does 4% represent if it's not the annual interest rate, the annual percentage rate? Well, what they do is, is they play loose with, with, uh, with terms sometimes in a sales presentation. So if you invest 100, you're going to get 140, 40% in 10 years. Simple math. 40 divided by 10 is 4% a year. All they have to pay you is 3.3% a year because of compounding. That's how you get 40%. Oh, my gosh. So they'll tell you they're paying 4%, but they're not really. Now, you might think 3.3 versus 4% is not a big deal, but it adds up over time. Right. In this scenario with 100 bucks, it's not going to matter too much, so we're just going to move on. And a lot of this, by the way, there's other factors that come into play I'm covering the big things here just to kind of give you an idea of what's going on. So we've got that. Now, the next thing we need to talk about is what's called the load. You know what a load is? Yeah, I've heard of no-load mutual funds and loaded mutual funds. Right. Uh, no-load mutual funds uh, are the kind that do not pay the sales commission to the – and I have my air quotes up again – the financial advisor – Load funds will pay them directly. Now, the industry has gotten aware that a lot of people don't like load funds, so what they do is they create a variation of the mutual fund that you want to buy, and they make a variation that's a no-load fund. And what they do instead is they charge you a higher amount per year every year, and then they give that to the advisor. So the advisor is getting paid to sell you anyway. But aside from that, this product this wonderful product that you bought and you're just so very happy to have. And when I give this talk, especially if it's to a conservative group, they hear that they can make 4% a year guaranteed. And when I ask if they want to buy it, all their hands go up. They want to just they, – because it's guaranteed. It's get, making 4% guaranteed with the potential higher upside potential is really, really good. If it didn't have all the strings attached to it that I'm going to explain to you now. Okay. The first thing – that we're talking about is the load. This product has an 8% load. So what that means is you invest $100, $8%, of that 100 comes off the top to pay the person that sold it to you. So now you're at 92. Now you're at 92. So you've got your 140, and from that 140, you want to subtract 
eight dollars. So one thirty two. Correct. See, you can do math. <laughs> now, the funny thing is that you were going to make 140 because you were investing $100. You didn't invest $100. You invested 92, which was your first answer. Right. So what you have to do is you have to subtract another $3 because you're going to make 40% on $92, not 40% on $100. So you should have 140 minus 8 minus 3. So wow. in this so scenario, yeah, this, in this scenario, the effective cost is not 8% load. It's 8 plus 3. It's 11% load. You're losing 11% of your money because of what you're not investing, which blows the mind, but we, we can come back to that more later if you want. Uh, some mutual funds, the, the expense ratio or the load, which are two different things, can be so high that you would be better off with the money under the mattress. And this is one of those cases, by the way. Spoilers for those who are paying attention. Uh, <laughs> the next thing is the annual expense ratio. The average mutual fund has an expense ratio of 1.6 to 1.8%. This one is a little on the high side. It's 1.8% per year, but it's such a wonderful product, you don't mind. You're going to be in for 10 years at least because I told you there's a 10% penalty, and that freaks you out, and unless there's an emergency, you're not taking it out. So 1.8% per year times 10 years is $18. So now you have to subtract $18 more. Now, now the average now mutual fund... One, hold on. You're at 111. You're right. And and this is over and I'm just what getting period? Going. What period Ten is years. this over? 10 years. 10 years. So your, your $100 turned into 111 in 10 years. That's, that's 1%. I'm not done yet. Yeah. And that's assuming you and, don't try to take any money out at a 10% fee. Right. Now, the Holy next thing is, remember, I told you this is guaranteed. And a guarantee is basically like insurance. And if you have a car or if you have a house, think of it like that. It's insurance. You're protecting that asset. That, the guarantee comes from the company in this case. It actually comes from you, the investor. That's only 1.5% per year very small amount. Again, over 10 years, that's $15. 1.5%. Okay, I'm so they're going to take another 15 bucks off my money, which leaves me with um, $96. $96. Now, the next one, and this one's a little tricky, so just work with me for a minute. The vast majority of the money that you give them is invested in a thing called zero-coupon U.S. bonds. The average bond, say, for example, you buy a bond for $10,000, and it pays 6% a year. So every year you get a check for $600. That's how a normal bond works. A zero-coupon bond, you don't buy it for $10,000 and get interest. You buy it at a discount, say $6,000 or $7,000, and when it comes to maturity, whether it's 5, 10, or 20 years, then it's worth $10,000. That's when you get the money. So they're called zero coupon because there's no – back in the good old days, they had little coupons you put, that you tore off the bond sheet and you took it into the bank and they paid you the interest. So there's zero coupon. So they don't give you interest, but they go up in value. At some point, the IRS decided they do not want to wait – 
to tax you. So they calculate this thing called imputed interest. So they charge you tax on the money you haven't gotten yet. Oh, my gosh. How's that? Is that cool? So you haven't even earned the interest, and the IRS says, I'm going to go ahead and take what you potentially could make. Right. And the funny thing here is what happens is the company that sold you this product, they get all of the interest from the zero-coupon bonds, and you get the tax bill. Oh, my gosh. So in this case, that's going to only work out to about $0.60 cents per year times 10 years, another $6. Wow. So $6 for the IRS. Right. And now I'm at $90 on my $100 investment over right. so, 10 years. <laughs> here is the mind-boggling thing. You have actually worked yourself into a situation where your investment went down and you had to pay taxes for that privilege. Wow. Now, so, so is, I lost money and I get to pay taxes on money that I should have made based on this 4% guarantee. Right. This is a scam. How's this legal? Well, and the funny thing, in the investment world, the company that sells you a product can do literally anything to you as long as you agree to it. So when you sit down with an advisor or a broker and they want to sell you something, the first thing I like to tell people is follow the KISS rule. Simple, silly. Yeah, we, if you we don't understand that. it, huh? We use that. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. And if, if you don't understand it, don't buy it. Don't let them shame you into thinking that you don't understand it because you're an idiot. Maybe you don't understand it because it's a stupid thing to buy. There's always that possibility. In this case, the National Association of Secure, Security Dealers, which is right. a... Gover- not a, it's not a government. It's a privately funded watchdog group. It's funded by security dealers. It's funded by the people who are selling you this stuff. They've created their own group to watch themselves. It's kind of like the classic fox watching the hen house kind of thing. <laughs> so they actually, on their website, have a section that's hard to find for customers, for, for normal folk out there in America, where they warn you not to buy these products. So they've covered their ass coming and going. First of all, when you sign that back page of the prospectus, you've agreed that they can do this to you. Second, they can point to the website where they told you you shouldn't have bought it in the first place. We told you it was a bad idea, but they still go out and sell it. And it's all legal as far as the laws define legal. Ethical? Because they've told no. you. No, this is right. immoral and unethical. I, I agree. taking advantage of someone's ignorance, just like me, I'm ignorant to this. And ignorant isn't the negative word that it's often uh, assumed to be, but ignorance yeah. just is a lack of information, lack of education in a that's, certain that's right. area. You, 
you just don't have the information specific to this product, and the person selling it to you, they may not even know all of this. All they know is that if you come in because Aunt Matilda died and left you $100,000, and they put you in this, they make $8,000 from your one-hour visit. What are what, what are happens these to called? What are these called? Well, they're often called guaranteed mutual funds. They can also be called indexed annuities. Matter of fact, just as a blanket statement, which is always dangerous, but I feel pretty comfortable in this one, unless you have a very, very specific and verifiable need for some reason that escapes my understanding, never, ever, ever buy an annuity. Just don't do it. There's oh no real benefit to it. It's just a sales I, tool. Uh, that is also be sold. I've got a family member that sells annuities. Yeah. <laughs> That's scary. No, you can go out. If you go to Vanguard, Vanguard.com, I get paid nothing from them, by the way, so this is just my personal preference that I like them. If you absolutely must have an annuity, you can buy one from them that won't have a lot of these uh, tricks and traps in it. I still don't know why you would do it even in that scenario, but I always allow for the possibility that I'm missing something or that your personal situation is different and you might actually benefit from this for some reason. But for 99.2% of all people, don't even think about it. If someone says annuity, you're sitting down with somebody and they say, I know what will solve your life's problems. It's an annuity. You should leave. Uh, but this I also, is like a CD with a scam. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, this makes a CD look great, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's just like a CD. It's saying, we'll guarantee you 1.2%, but don't read the fine print. Because you're going to right. end up less than you started with after 10 years. And, how and many, people do how many hear... elderly people have dumped money? How many people, period, have dumped their hard-earned money into these things to only find later that they have oh, less well, than they started with? Here's an example, a real-life example. I had a guy come to me. He's two years from retirement, and he's got $50,000. And he says, Phil, how much can I take out per year? I said, well, using my 5% rule, about 2500 And he says, no, I, I need 10 I'm like, well, that's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't create the situation, but I, I can tell you if you take out 10 it's not going to last very long. And he goes, how long do you think it's going to last? And I go, give or take five years. And, you know, it's real simple. Uh, he also told me that he had a variable universal life insurance policy. Uh, with life insurance, the more words it has in the name, the worse it is. The only word you really want to see in a life insurance policy is the word term. If you have a very specific need for a whole life policy, we could have that discussion. I actually don't sell insurance, um, but if you really have a specific need to buy a whole life policy, you can do that and you can shop it. But once you get to the variable, you get to universal life, all these things, again, they're just shit coated in gold to make it look good to you. Um, wow. But he came to me and he had this $100,000 life insurance policy. And let's say he's 60 years old. Average life expectancy for a 60-year-old, just from the actual actuarial tables, 
not to put anybody down or anything, but is about 20 years. Okay. So he's got this $100,000 life insurance policy. It's got what's called a cash value of $30,000. So if he needs to, he could borrow $30,000 out of the policy. If he dies tomorrow, wife and two daughters get $100,000 in total. It's not 100000 plus the thirty; it's just 100000 But he can borrow in the meantime. And I said, well, you could consider getting rid of that and taking that $30,000 and investing it. He says, no, no, no. He says, I've been paying into that for a long time. And I said, what do you pay per year on that? And he says, $500. And I said, well, there's, there's no way you can pay $500. And he says, that's what I pay. And I said, no, for $100,000 of life insurance, if your life expectancy is 20 years, you can expect the insurance company to collect $5,000 from you plus a little extra for profit. Right. Well, we call his uh, agent, not the guy that sold it to him, but his new agent, and the guy says, oh, no, no, $500 won't cover the premium. He pays $500. The additional $5,000 comes out of his account. Oh my so his God. cash value is 30000 this year. Next year, it's going to be $25,000. And every year he ages, of course, his premium goes up materially because his life expectancy goes down. So he's basically in a situation when he bought this 30 years ago, when he was 30, $500 a year was enough to fund it. But they told him if A, B, C, and D happen, you will eventually have a cash value that's so large that you won't have to contribute anymore. Well, one or more of those assumptions never came true. They may not have even been reasonable or likely, but they didn't happen, and now he has to keep paying the $500, and the extra 5000 comes out of his cash reserve in the insurance. So he asked me, what does that all mean? And I said, well, basically, and I'll put it crudely for the radio listeners, he better hurry up and die. Because if he lives more than about five years, he has no life insurance unless he can come up with about $7,000 for one year's premium. So he asked me, what should he do? I said, well, now you're putting me in a very awkward situation because if I tell you to, to quit putting money in and take out your 30000 and you die tomorrow, you lost seven to grand. But if you leave it in and you live six years in a day or whenever the policy expires, you get zero. So what's the right answer? And then he asked a question I thought was just brilliant is what would Phil Ferguson at Polaris Financial Planning do if I had this product? I said, well, for me, that'd be simple math. I'd take my 30 grand because it's guaranteed and I invest it in the stock market. And hopefully in seven years, that 30000 turns into 60000 I'm never going to get the 100000 The other thing is that if I take that 30000 out, it becomes my money and I can do something with it. I'm not flushing five grand down the toilet every year. Well, he tells me he needs some time to think about it. So he goes home and he calls me a couple of days later and he says, hey, Phil, I solved my problem. And I said, how's that? And he goes, well, I went and talked to the insurance guy about this. Oh, no. I thought, and he says, <laughs> we, took, we took out the 30000 and I bought a variable annuity, and it's going to pay me out far more than the 5% you told me I could take out. 
So his 30000 came out. He no longer has a life insurance policy. And now he no longer has the 30000 because he put it into an annuity. But instead of it paying 5%, it's going to pay him 8%. The only way you can get 8% out of an annuity, unless I'm missing something, and it happens from the time to time, in today's market, is that they will not give you the $30,000 back. You will get the 8%. You will get the 8% as long as you live, but your spouse won't continue, and there will be nothing left for your descendants because they're assuming how long you're going to live. So you can take out 5% per year, and the money will always be there. If you take out 8% or something in that range or higher, at some point it's going to run out. So they've done the math and figured out if they give this guy 8% based on historical norms and averages and his life expectancy, when he dies and they get to stop paying out, they'll still have money left over. So the very purpose for his life insurance that he bought 30 years before was to provide for his wife and his daughters. He now took 30000 out of a bad product, put it into another bad product, and the salesperson made a nice commission, probably 10 to 12 to 15%. And he is going to get 8% out of that, and see 8% out of 30000 $2,400 a year. And he might get that for 10 or 15 years, and then it's gone, and his wife and daughters get nothing. nothing. And I don't even know if he understood that. If instead he had started by putting away $500 a year for 30 years, um, I've got my little, my little toy here open. Let's see, $500 a year, if he does that for 30 years, $82,000. And he would never now, have to be that, paying the $5,000. Did you do the, the 82000 You just took 500 Did you add the interest? Is that with the interest calculated over the yeah, that's five. That's $500 a year for 30 years, making 10%. Okay. And each, year, each year, I want people to understand, you're not making 10% on the original amount. You're making 10% on the past year's interest as well, and that's why it's called compounding interest. Right. So what you would have is the first year you have 500 At the end of the year, that 500 would be $550 if you make 10%. And of course, that's always the big if. If you make 10%, you have 550 You invest another 50 or 500. Now you have 1,050 invested, and then you make $100 and five the next year, and it keeps right. growing and growing. So the amount of interest you make gets bigger, and the amount that you add every year is 500. In this case, over 30 years, at $500 a year, he's only added, he's only saved $15,000, but he ends up with $82,000. Well, for but the because for he our, this. Yeah. For our younger vendors, the, the, and we have a lot of younger vendors, you know, in their 20s. And if uh, I want you to rehash real quickly what, what happens to the power of money and the doubling, because that is interesting to me how that, you know, 10,000 can turn into a million in just a few doubles. It's, there's there's right. an old saying that says, would you rather have, um, I think it's a million dollars, or would you rather have a penny a day doubled for a month? Something right. like that. Yep, yep, I, I've done that, and it works out to millions upon millions upon millions. Um, it, one of the quick 
in dirty ways I look at retirement, especially if someone is under 35. If you save 10% of what you make per year, and that makes 10% a year, and you do that for 30 years, you will be able to take out more from your everlasting nest egg that will never go away. You will be able to take out more after 30 years than you currently make on an annual basis. Wow. So if you're 25 and you save 10% of what you make, now most people tend to make more money as they get older. The beauty of this is if you make more and you're still saving 10%, you save more. Right. And it might not work out to be exactly 30 years. It might take 32 years or 35 years. Or maybe you don't save 10%, you save 12%. But you're looking at a theoretical possibility if you're 25 and save 10%, that at the age of 55, you're done. You can now live on your portfolio. If you want to continue to work, if you want to make three to five to seven grand a month, on your hot dog cart on top of it because it's good fun and you like doing it, good for you. But you're making that 10%. Well, well, you're making all that money you used to make without doing a bit of work. That to me is wealth. I don't need millions of dollars. I just need some way to know I can always pay my bills. That would make me very happy. Well, there's security in that. That's, that's why I was saying it. It's hard to touch money yeah. once it reaches about five or ten grand, even three grand. You know, it's easy to take a hundred dollars out of the bank if that's all you have in your savings account. But you put three thousand in there, or let it build up to three thousand. Then when you go, oh, uh, we want to just, we want to go, you know, this weekend over to Myrtle Beach and spend the weekend, right. and you're going, not yeah. if I have to take it out of the three thousand. That's my savings. No. My dad is my, my role model, which uh, not everybody has the luxury to say, and I understand that. But I think the most he ever made after 30, 40 years of working as an engineer was something like forty grand, because he never pushed for promotions. He, he was very content on what he made, and he lived a very modest lifestyle. But he always saved 10% a year, sometimes more. So when he retired and he took that job at Kmart that I told you about where he was uh, a greeter, he was making more than forty grand per year just by pulling money out of his portfolio. And he was making, say, ten dollars or $12,000 a year working at Kmart part-time. And he was getting $15,000 from Social Security. And my mom had a job part-time making ten grand. You start adding that up, suddenly they're in a position where they're making 70, 80, 90 grand a year in retirement when the most they ever made maybe before was 45. Right, right. But anyway, I think by now my, my 10 minutes are up. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I, I, I want to thank you for joining us, Phil, and I, I would love it if you would tell everybody, um, sum everything up and then tell everybody where they can find you if they want any help doing this and they want to get started investing that for their retirement, that, that security net, make creating a, a security blanket for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's funny because as we've been talking, uh, I have a way to look at the statistics from my website, uh, which, by the way, is polarisfinancialplanning.com. 
www.polarisfinancialplanning.com. You can just Google Polaris Financial Planning. Um, and I've seen clicks come from your show already, even while we're talking live. So I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled by that. Uh, if any of your listeners want to learn more, they can go to my website, which again is polarisfinancialplanning.com. Read some of my philosophies on there. If you want to know more, there's probably 40 or 50 uh, stories, articles, posts, whatever we want to call them there, about basic fundamentals of how to invest and how to do it well without getting ripped off. If they want to talk to me, there's a contact form on there. Uh, they can, they can uh, send me an email. They can use the contact form. We, we can talk for an hour, no charge. They just tell me they heard you. They heard me on your show. They get a free hour. If they decide not to hire me, wow. I'm not offended. I just help them out for an hour. It's no big deal. If they want more services, we can talk about something. But you know, that's not necessary. I do like helping people, and that's that's all cool too. But I want to I want to let everybody know though, real quick, yeah. Phil, that that one that I endorse you as far as I know you personally, and I trust you with with everything. I would hand over my the keys to my business because that's how much I trust you. So if you're wondering that I just looked on the Internet and found somebody willing to come on the show, that's not the case. This is someone that's helped out family of mine, and I know for a fact it works, and it works well, and it's going to save you. There's no greed involved. There's no, oh, well, you got to sign this form, and it's going to be $300 fee to get you going. No, there's none of that. He has just a flat fee, and it's based on how, how much you're making. You know, so if you, if you make a lot of money, his goal is, is to get your money making lots of money. And there's not all these little fees in, involved like he just right. explained. So I, I promise you. I just you, have a, a, you a want couple little clarifications just, just to make sure. Uh, yeah. it, the percentage is on the assets under management, not on right. how much you make. Right. Um, and that, we can do that for a whole other show maybe, but a um, couple things. If you go talk to somebody else, and that's cool, I, I'm fine, go talk to somebody else. What you want to ask this financial plan, this advisor, the first question will blow their mind, and they probably will dodge it. If they start dodging it, you just get up and you walk out. Ask them, how much do they make on your investment? If they can't give you a straight answer to that, you don't want to do business with them. The second thing is, is their money – in the same place they're recommending you put your money. Now, <laughs> there's going to be some variation because, you know, if you're 60 versus someone who's 25, your portfolio is going to be a little different, maybe a lot different. But right. I recommend the people, free advice, go take it. I recommend Vanguard Index Funds. That's where I put my money. That's where I put my client's money. It's in the same place. So I can still be wrong, and it happens from time to time, but uh, I'm going to lose money the same time you're going to lose money um, because but that's where my is money long is. Term, you know, I hate to use the word lose money because it's like the stock market when it drops. If you don't take your money out, you really didn't lose because over, over the – how many years is the stock market average to 10% roughly? Well, it, pretty much any, any way you slice it, if the period is longer than 15 years, it works out to about 10 to 11 to 12%, depending on the type of stocks that you're in. Right. And that's, it's only that's, when you look at shorter periods. It's like nine times better than the CD. So, um, well, and it, of course, you mentioned uh, inflation. So it, it's far, far 
better than nine times. And right. when you throw in compounding, you know, you can be looking at 20 to 30. Well, it doesn't matter how much better it is. It, you're not going down. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> any, right. Any amount of up is, is better than going down. Uh, but, well, Phil, yeah, we thank that, you for, for doing this, for taking the time. I know you, you, you do this out of the love of your heart. And I appreciate that you would be willing to do this on a Sunday evening, missing the Super Bowl. And oh, is that the, tonight? PolarisFinancialPlanning.com. <laughs> um, I'm going to have links over on the blog later, and you'll be able to find it easily. There's also a link on the blog uh, if you go to um, Hot Dog Hot Dog Radio, um, or yeah, Hot Dog Vendor Radio. Com. Um, you'll be able to get it too. So um, I'll have links everywhere, and I really appreciate you doing this, Phil. Uh, it's my pleasure, and, and, and hopefully uh, someone has helped out. Even if they don't hire me, they, they get a few ideas or a few tips what to do, um, and that's what it's all about. We're just trying to be humans helping each other get, get to the promised land and our everlasting nest egg. So uh, I thank you for the opportunity of, of having me on. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you again. Thanks a bunch. Have a good evening. All right, folks, I'm going to take a short break, and if you're still with me, we will. And I know we've got a little over, looks like, a little over 200 people, which is better than last year during the Super Bowl, um, listening live. Now, I know that more people download it later, but um, I I hope that helped you. I'm going to take a short break, and then we will come back with um, some email questions and some tips. There's some brilliant tips that were sent in. Hot Dog Saved My Life, the book. Everything you ever wanted to know about hot dog vending and probably some things you don't, available at benscarts.com forward slash book. Why spend 100 or more dollars when you can get it all for less than 30 bucks? Less than 30 bucks. Benscarts.com forward slash book. Get it, read it, and discover how you can cash in and change your life for good. Benscarts.com forward slash book. Have you ever seen those hot dog vendors with the hinge pan lids? Well, Ben has them now. They're over at Ben'sCarts.com in the accessory store. These aren't your run-of-the-mill pans either. Ben wanted to make a pan that would last as long as your cart would, so he used the thickest gauge stainless steel pans on the market. Yep, you can buy cheaper versions, but you can't buy better ones. These are for the seriously busy hot dog vendors and built to last, and you can get them only over at Ben'sCarts.com. This is Slick Willie Johnson from New York, and you'll be grooving live with the Hot Dog Answer Man on HDVR, Hot Dog Vendor Radio. Come on, y'all, let's take a ride. Folks, I thank you for sticking with us. Um, I wanted to read some stuff to you and let you know I'm going to try to spare you some of this. This came from um, Yvonne, and she puts, um, I love your show, and I'm going to spare you all the, the mushy um, stuff where she tells me how she loves bald men and all that good stuff. I'm just kidding. Um, she says that she owns a large wood-fired oven. She's been friends with Jason Brown for a few years now, and she loves listening to the show, but she says, I wanted to share a few tips I found helpful with events. If you purchase a cheap vacuum bagger, you will, you know those vacuum seal bag things? you will find you can store a lot of items in your cooler without worrying that the water is penetrating the bags, ruining your products. 
The plastic of these bags is made to withstand being submerged in hot water. It would be more food safe sturdy than heating Ziploc bags. It will keep food fresh longer, and if you want to quickly bring the item up to temperature, you can add it to the boiling water in your steam table, in the bag. Buying the bags from a restaurant supplier is cheaper than getting them from Walmart or other retail outlets. For your vendors that want to add to their catering menu and wonder where to get started, consider salads. They're easy to prepare on-site and may set you apart from other hot dog caterers. Close-up pictures of the salads have beautiful, fresh colors, which is which always shows fresh. The best way to start, that is to think of a few easy salads to prepare, like garden veggie, Caesar, um, panzanella, and slaw. Let's see. Get a large metal salad bowl and tongs, make the salad, and, and take a close-up picture. Figure out what it costs you to make the salad using the individual salad bowls. You would serve it and check how many servings it made. Check various local caterers to see um, close to you to see what they charge for salads that serve that size. Don't forget to check chain restaurants to see what they charge for large and extra-large salads. Salads have a great markup. You can charge either per, per person or by the bowl. I do it both ways. I also do unlimited, which is more per person, but also runs the risk of having to overstock. Not something I would suggest when you're starting out. Costco has a real bacon that is available in a bag ready to go without refrigeration, if that's what you need to use. Even better is pre-cook your maple bacon, cut it into small pieces, and bag it in the cooler. This requires only a flash to reheat just before serving, but when that is added to warm your Caesar with a bit of bacon drippings, it will be sensational. For someone starting out who can't afford their cart yet or cart owners who are doing a large event and need extra space than their cart allows, consider the butane burners that caterers and chefs use. For $25 and a few bottles of butane, you can add a burner. They are usually 10 to 15,000 BTUs each, so and they work very well. This would also give you the option of being able to set up indoors for an event. If you will be in a windy area, you can buy a shield that it sells in that it sets into so it doesn't blow out. Some caterers have custom metal ones built with their logo. Um, if you're looking for those custom metal shields, you can go to typically most flea markets because a new thing in these um, be your own boss magazines and entrepreneur magazines is this um, metal creations, and it uses like a, a plasma torch. And on a small scale to make designs and, you know, you see a cowboy cutout or the guy kneeled down at the flag or a cross or anything like that. Those types of things, you can ask them to create you one with your own logo in it and put it around your burner. A $35 electric turkey oven can work either as a steam table or to bake in. I have done large amounts of mini baked potatoes in them for events. When my kitchen was being renovated, I used it to bake bread, brownies, chicken, lasagna, and I've done the odd turkey in there, too. I'm excited for my cart to be built. I will send pictures when it's done all the best. She's building a cart from scratch. She, she is from Ontario, Canada, and I thank her, Yvonne, for sending that in. She also added, she sent me another email and said, I forgot to mention that um, cut fruit platters and veggie trays are also a great fresh item to take on site or make ahead. So you vendors who are going to try catering, 
these are some brilliant ways that can help you um, or brilliant ideas. Um, let's see. This came from Thomas Pittman. It says, I'm not sure if you, if you threw... Let's see. But looking into pitching local businesses to sponsor certain food giveaways, this should entice people to eat the, eat from the cart and lower the cost to the food vendor. What do you think? Um, I'm not sure I understand. I'm not sure if you thought of this. That's what it says. But looking into pitching local businesses to sponsor certain food giveaways. Now, that may be a great idea. You may be able to go into a bakery and go, you know, they have a favorite brownie or a favorite cookie. And you go, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up your signs. And at my event, and you provide the cookies, and it gives you a way to add something nice to your cart to give away during an event, um, especially a local hometown event, you know, um, city days or, um, you know, whatever kind of events going on in your local town. That is a smart idea, Thomas. I appreciate it. I think that could be expounded upon. There's many ways to, to use that to benefit you. Um. Okay, um, Bernie writes in and says, can the 12-volt battery be used for multiple jobs, such as for hot water and lights? Um, I don't know about hot water, um, unless you're talking about just to, you know, most of the batteries on our carts are just for the pump, the water pump. The hot water is, is run by gas. Um, so I'm not sure what you mean by that. But the lights, yes, you could run lights off of it. The problem is, is, You'd probably want a bigger battery. You know, I, I've seen vendors use those deep cycle batteries. I have a deep cycle battery, but I, I bought one of those um, cheapy, I think it was 30 bucks at harborfreighttools.com, a little solar panel that trickle charges back to the battery. And so during the day, my battery's being charged, and if I use it at night and I use the LED lights, then it's it's good to go. Um. Hopefully that answers your question, and maybe I think I'm done. I think that's all I'm going to do. Um, we've already run over. I appreciate everybody's patience, and I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that you will take that information and actually use it. I hope that you will take that information and go out and decide, hey, I need to save money. I'm if Five years is going to pass either way. There's going to be five years go by either way. One way you can go, you know what, i got 20000 in the bank or 50000 in the bank or 10000 in the bank. Or you can go, man, I sure need to start saving at some point. I'm hoping I can start making more money, and then, then I'll be able to save money once I'm making more. Well, the problem is we don't do it. We, no one does it. More money doesn't mean you save more. More money means you spend more. And so... The habit needs to be formed no matter what you make. If you're making 1500 a month working at Dairy Queen, then you need to be saving 10% at least and get that up to 1000 Get it up to 2000 and then call Phil. Um, I wouldn't recommend him if I didn't know him. And, um, and I've seen his, his skills and his talent and his patience at work. And... And so I know that it's effective, and I know that there. if you could feel that feeling of knowing, you know what, I've got 10000 in the bank. thing went to hell today. I'm going to be okay for a little while. 
But even better than that is if nothing goes to hell and that 10,000 is able to grow into 50 to 100 to 300 to a million, that's a good feeling to know that you'll be able to retire and not decrease your income, not have to re-budget, not have to re-plan. I wish you all well. I love you all, as you know, and um, I hope you're having a good week. If I missed you this week in your emails, please forgive me. I know that some of them I was getting back two and three days late, and it's just because I'm getting so many, and I apologize, but I will always answer you. It just sometimes it takes longer if I get it deluged. So I hope you all have a good evening, and we will see you next week. In the meantime, happy vending, happy slinging, and, and go make some money.